welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are joined by our guest, Dasha, to talk, what is it, like pro-level digestion stuff, Sue? Is that what we would kind of say here? I think so, yeah. Gut health, issues with the gut, issues, you know, really good with that stuff. So Yeah, no, it's going to be badass. But first, Nick, man, how's your last seven days been out there in Arkansas? Uh, warm. Um Really, um, not too eventful. I had uh, the in-laws in last weekend, so we got a lot of stuff done around the house. Uh, was it like a Chevy Chase family vacation kind of moment? It was not. Fortunately, it's just the uh, the mom and pops that comes down and no one else. But yeah, no, no Chevy Chase moments. But All right. um, as far as work goes, I have a, um, I have a client that called me today. She's joined the gym, and so her and her son – I wanted to uh, both sign up for training and for um, nice. all that. So I may have them as nutrition clients as well. So sweet. Good but day, that's man. about it. Beautiful. Jeffrey Sue. How's your last seven days been? What's up, man? Uh, it's been eventful, dude. What do you want? You want the good news or the bad news? Well, it depends on so, if the bad news like some bullshit. You like lost fifteen thousand dollars the IRS that everyone fucking Well, suffers. well, no. All right, fine. I'll start with the bad news. All right, all right bad. News. I spent forty thousand dollars in June. I looked at my bank account. I spent forty thousand dollars, not to the T, but pretty fucking close on my house and on all the renovations I'm doing and all that stuff. I lost a client the other day. I'll tell you the story. I had only been with her for five weeks. Okay, I improved her labs. She looked way better. We were eating up, feeding up. She was great. Five weeks. She decided to leave me, go to another team. And she said that, um, you know, the, the, her words, not mine. She said, I wanted to go straight to the big dog. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? What am I, a fucking B-shot then? Yeah. So, so like, no I mean, dude. You're a listen, dog, listen, clients need. I've lost, this is my fifth client I've lost in 2021. That's not bad at all. I gave no, way, way more than that. And you know what? She'll probably listen to the podcast and laugh about it. I'm not taking it to heart. I'm joking about it. And I wish her the best. You know, maybe it is a better fit. Who knows? Maybe, maybe in two weeks, he'll do what I can't do in five. You know, who knows? But maybe, or maybe she'll come back. But that was the bad because, you know, Jeff, like, I hate losing, you know? So that's that. The good, I'm on vacation and I discovered the 1974 Jolene album of Dolly Parton. And I didn't know that she was the one who sang I Will Always Love You. You know that song by Whitney Houston? It's really by Dolly Parton. She did it first. Um, I made $37,000 in 13 days. We're on July 13th today. And I think I might hit a 60K month this month, which is disgusting. Um, I hired a new coach. I sold a six-month package. I sold a three-month package at my new $1,000 per month rate. I'm creating two new classes and yeah, I'm just exemplifying that fucking big dog energy. So how's that a vacation? I'm fucking killing it. I'm loving life. You know, that's vacation. So you worked all vacation. Well, no client check-ins, but I, you know, listen, man, I got to get that momentum. I got to keep that momentum into the rest of this year. So I can't stop, dude. Like I can't stop swimming. Okay, Jason, yeah. how's your last seven days been? We got we got finding Nemo over there. Never stop swimming. <laughs> I mean, pretty good. I've signed some clients. Like I'm working on prep. You know, I'm not a hundred percent balls to the wall yet because I really don't need to be. I'm ahead of the game, but you know, I'm cleaning up the diet. I built the diets last night. I'd already kind of 
the way I do things now is like, I, I ramp my carbs up to what feels right. And then I build the diet. And then after that, I start pulling them down to what feels right. So last night I re I did my diet to where I pulled it down. It came out to 300 protein, 300 carb and like 35 fat. And so I'm just going to rock that for now, pull 70 out on off days. Cause I don't have my intra and just see where I'm at. Take refeeds when I need it. If the scale's dropping too fast, I already dropped two pounds this week. Um, and just go from there. There's me some free meals and shit in there. Um, but you know, business is solid. Business is good. Um, damn, our liposomal liposomal L carn should be out any freaking minute. So those that don't want to do injections, but they understand the science that L carn orally is pretty much wasted by the gut, will understand that product and give it a roll. Um, other than that, I think you know it's been a solid week of business. Yeah, man, I can agree. Business has been good lately. I think we're all very, uh, I'm not a big fan of the word blessed. I think we all very grateful for the opportunities we've been afforded. Um, But I also know how much work I put into it like you guys have. So it's also, you know, that's just is what it is. The 60, 70 hour weeks show up, you know, over time. And, uh, but man, my last seven days, we'll see. We got that new equipment in the gym, that arsenal incline fly. Plate low is the fucking shit. Like, I'm like, hell yes. You need to be telling your gyms you want one if you're listening. It's amazing. Well, when I get down there again, I can't wait. Yep. Well, my house uh, closed on that August 18th, apparently. So, yeah, no, I'm excited about that. Um, Let's see. What did I do? Oh, Sunday I went, uh, the girl that I'm talking to, me and her went for a car drive to go to Metropolis, Illinois and buy some marijuana. Um, so that was a very fun, interesting little first kind of time hanging out, going and doing something. So that was neat. Nice five hours in the car together and good conversations, but, uh, I've just been enjoying summer, you know, July is a slow month, usually in the fitness industry to some degree, you know, yeah, you get signups and things like that, but like the gyms are slower. People are on vacation. Sales are a little down. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I usually pull back a little bit in July and enjoy it. And I can honestly say I am. And what Jason, we're 18 days out from my show and still no diet changes. We're just not going to refeed me as high and yep. clears me into the show. Uh, I feel good, man. I mean, this is probably the easiest prep I've ever done and that's knocking on wood and yeah. a lot of other shit. Um, guys, few things before I get to Dasha, we start talking to her and find out how she's doing on this lovely Tuesday is the first form event is August 27th and 28th. St. Louis first forum headquarters, all proceeds benefit the 30 for kids foundation. Um, it's going to be great. We, you know, me, Jason and Sue are presenting Lauren's presenting on leadership in the fitness industry. Um, Jamie Filer is presenting on systemization and customer retention. Nick Ross is presenting on sales and you guys know how Nick is. So all of us are going to bring it. And then most importantly, you guys get to hear Sal Frisella. He'll be presenting on how to create a culture. This is the first time we've ever done a seminar like this, and we are looking forward to it because we are looking to put business into the PEC4, which will be announced soon. So if you guys are interested in the first form event, we've got like half the tickets left, www.theexcellencecartel.com. Come on out and have a good time. It'll be really good. The VIP tickets, there's three of those left. That's $500 and it includes dinner with the guest panel. But the beautiful part, guys, is the going to probably be the 75 to 90 minute Q&A 
after all the presenters go through where you guys get to ask us Q and A's to that panel. And it's going to be a live episode for the excellence cartel that we will uh, record and put out. So it'll be a great time. And then we got Amino Pure. Jason, you want to spout them real quick? Sure. Amino-pure.com. I think you guys know by now some of the best uh, injectable L-carn. Um, amino pump is really great if you're prepping and you're kind of flat right now. It'll give you that pump that you need. It's good just even off season as well. Uh, make it even better. Um, they also offer a lot of other things like ancillaries, um, peptides. They have a full selection of things, so go check them out. Um, and then use TEC15, please. Yep, beautiful, because all those proceeds from them go to help us with the PEC and some of the stuff we do mm -hmm. um, with Thera and all that. So the last one, guys, is TRM, Trainer Revenue Multiplier. I think Jason and I have pimped them out enough. They do great work. Definitely. If you're a coach and you're looking to understand marketing and you're looking to understand like the why and building out your customer, you know, avatar and all these things that are really, really helpful. Look to Matt to help you out. Him and Jamie, www.matthewmathewparkpark.com backslash TEC. They're doing 30 minute strategy calls with you all for free to see if you all be a good fit. But as a coach, these are things if you're looking for more of a coursework setup with a community and support, TRM is a great product. And we encourage you all to hit them up. If anything, get to know Matt. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in this industry. And that's saying a lot. Now, that being said, Asha, how's your last seven days been? And then go ahead and introduce yourself and let's get this baby started. Alrighty. Well, my name is Dasha, as you just said. Um, the last seven days, hmm, we did a class together. Jeffrey and I did a class together on Sunday. That was fun. Um, recognizing gut health issues, I think we called it. And then um, other than that, I've been doing a lot of consults recently. I kind of on offboarded all of my, the core perform coaching to Nora, um, which is the dietitian that I work with um, through core perform. And then so, yeah, so I've just been doing a lot more consults one-on-one. -on -one, and I, I think I like that a little bit more than typical coaching. I've gone back and forth a lot. And I, I, I just feel like it's nicer to have that connection with someone on a call. Um, it does take longer. It does kind of require a little bit more time and energy, but I like it. What, what would you say is the, like, that, that makes you light up about doing the one-on-one -on -one that you've kind of fallen back in love with? Because there has to be something if you fell back in love with with it. It's the fact that you can see the person's personality. It is so hard to interpret who the person is that you're emailing or typing out or sending voice notes to. Um, and then when you see the person and you can actually see what's going on there, even their facial expressions kind of helps you to put together the picture a little bit more in terms of what are their exact pain points. I live next to a highway, if you can hear that. I actually live right above the uh, Tampa River Walk. If you guys saw the uh, Stanley Cup boat parade. That was right below me. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. All right. So give us a little bit about your uh, last seven days. You mean my background? Uh, background. Sorry. Duh. My background. Yeah. yeah. So my background, um, I got my undergrad in biology from UMass Amherst. Then I went to Tufts to get my master's in nutritional epidemiology. So my background's really, really heavy in uh, nutrition research. Um, during that time, I helped a lot with, um, like New York Times bestselling author books to put together um, nutrition plans and protocols for their books. 
I did a lot of backend research in terms of the science behind it to help them put together those plans. Um, and also did a lot of research in the evolution of nutrition. So I did a lot of research into what we ate um, ancestrally and how that has changed and affected our genes and our structures as human beings. Um, and then I went on to do a lot more of core perform because I became a registered dietitian. I finished my dietetic internship here in Tampa at the Veterans Hospital. And then I just started up core perform full time and it's been great ever since. Excellent. All right. Well, you ready to get into our questions? Let's do it. You All guys, right. I'm going to be honest. These are like uh, biochemistry master's final exam questions. They're pretty good. <laughs> well, I like to say it was just because Sue put me on the spot and said she likes really hard questions. Immediately, I went like, well, fuck it. Let's see what this is. And that's exactly <laughs> that how my, heads. Yeah. I was like, all right, so these are my questions. So the first one is, it's kind of, these are multi-parts in them, but how does methylation interact with gut health? All right. So there are a couple main ways that this happens. The first one that I'm going to talk about is obesity. And the second one we can talk about is histamines. So in terms of obesity, there are gut bacterial populations within our adipose tissue that can actually epigenetically affect glucose and blood sugar regulations um, through that DNA methylation. Um, now this happens if you, I think you guys use the GI map. So um, we know that obesity is very well correlated with the bacterioides to Firmicutes ratio, which is something that you can see on the GI map. Um, the Firmicutes class it's, itself grows and is correlated with the amount of short chain fatty acids that are produced in the body. So the more fiber you're eating, the more Firmicutes you have, the better that ratio, the less your risk of obesity. Um, but short chain fatty acids, that bacterial colony, the Firmicutes and everything, those are really responsible for um, the B9, the folate, the B12 production in the colon. So they're bacterial species that actually produce these vitamins in our guts. So if you're not feeding those bacterial colonies with good fiber, producing those short chain fatty acids, you're depleting your body of those vitamins, methylation becomes poor, obesity is more likely to occur. I mean, certain genes like COMT and DAO, can they exasperate gut health issues? Yes. So um, that would be like the second kind of part of that, which is the histamine part of that. Okay. So methylation, we know is adding that methyl group and then demethylation would be taking off the methyl group. Um, okay. We know a methylation, typically I'm familiar with it as well through the Dutch test um, because it plays a role in that phase two detox but it also plays a role, the methylation cycle, in breaking down neurotransmitters. Histamines are neurotransmitters. So there are histamine receptors that are found in different parts of the body. Um, they're all going to be impacted by methylation. So there's a, like a lot. They're not just in the gut, they're in bone marrow, they're in your central nervous system, they're in smooth muscle, et cetera. And so as that happens um, and you have lower amounts of methylation, your histamines build up in the body and that can cause chronic inflammation and it can cause a lot of sensitivities to um, higher histamine foods or histamine liberating foods. So that happens, but then there's also certain bacterial infections that can actually cause you to become more histamine um, intolerant and give you reactions. I see it a lot in uh, cases of H. pylori, for example. Okay. Now I do have a question because this is something I know our listeners are going to want to hear. They're immediately going like, what is all this stuff? Mm -hmm. So what tests would one do to understand like DNA, their microbiome 
and methylation that you would recommend? Like, cause each one probably has, I would assume like a gold standard and like a silver standard, just something for our audience to start beginning to understand like how they could do this for themselves. Yeah. And to give you a little bit of background of where I come from in my practice, you can tell that my background is so heavy in clinical research and just uh, research studies like lab research. And so I get a lot of that mentorship from the people who are the evidence-based people who are like, no, all this test sucks. All you can do is the stuff that's clinically validated in the hospital. Um, So I hear that, but then I also understand from the functional side that like GI maps and all these things, they're working and they're working for a reason. And there must be a way to listen to our clientele, also understand evidence-based and also put in that functional. So with that said, I would say the most basic thing that anyone can do without any of these really complicated tests is start by checking out your B12 levels, your folate levels, like get your basic iron anemia panels done with basic lab work. From there, if it's still an issue and you're not, and you're fueling yourself with these micronutrients, et cetera, most methylation problems can be solved by that just by uh, supplementing um, with some methylated B vitamins, uh, maybe some SAMe, something else that might help with the methylation, but most of them will go away with that help. Um, now, if it's still an issue and you're actually really more curious, um, for the GI map, I like to use that. It does not tell you methylation, but as I just mentioned, it does tell you about the bacteriorities to Firmicutes ratios, tells you about your immune system, your liver. Um, I really like to use that one, and that's the main one that I use. However, if you are like gung-ho about learning and specifically seeing if you have that genetic variant of this, um, I would look into Vibrant Labs or Genova. They both offer methylation panels. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah, I just want, Dasha, I just want to add one thing here that think of methylation as like biological switches. And it's like a really complex process. I don't even fucking understand, but um, it's really, really important to make sure you have your B vitamins, your vitamin D, your magnesium, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So your body is functioning pr- properly because this touches like so many areas of like the brain, estrogen metabolism, all that stuff. So just remember that. And all of those are found in our MetaPure. Just, just a shameless plug. Just. <laughs> anyway. It's like super overcomplicated, to be honest. Like I, I think that methylation, like people are like, oh, you're not methylating properly or something. And then you look it up and, and you go back to your bio 101 textbook and you're like, oh, okay. Well, everything undergoes methylation. Literally our DNA is like any, so our DNA encodes for all of the scripts for proteins, enzymes, anything that's going on in our body, right? DNA itself needs to be methylated. So not only does that go under methylation, but all of the proteins, enzymes, et cetera, are undergoing methylation. So is it something that's super, super cool and specific? Like, no, it's just natural process that we all undergo. And that's just the nature of it, that we need these micronutrients to fuel those processes. Beautiful. My next question, SIFO, small intestinal fungals, fungus overgrowth. Explain to our listeners what it is and how that differentiates between SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And then I would like to ask about like test and treatment to understand like SIFO versus SIBO. For sure. So I don't know if this is like a northerner and a southerner pronunciation difference, but I say SIFO and SIBO. Um, but it's the same thing. And the fungal overgrowth basically is any sort of yeast or fungus overgrowth in the small intestine, then bacterial overgrowth would be bacterial. So 
For example, candida could be a small um, intestinal fungal overgrowth. However, it doesn't need to be. Like there are many other yeasts and funguses that can grow in the small intestine. Um, the thing with SIBO is the only validated um, tests for this is a breath test. So the actual aspiration that occurs from you um, ingesting the um, glucose mix that they give you. Um, and SIBO hasn't had that specific test, any sort of validation. So they have tried to use that same aspiration markers and that's what they've been using to my knowledge, but very few, very few doctors even know about SIBO breath tests. So to put that into consideration, SIFO is like not gonna, you're not gonna fly with that. Um, most of the time you'll be able to get like an IgE panel, like an actual um, blood work done for SIFO because typically it'd be circulating through the blood. Um, hopefully not at that point yet, but it could be done that way. Um, stool testing is another, but again, because it's so high up in your GI, if it's in your stool test, it has to survive the whole, like the whole digestive system. So it might not come out and be actually too accurate in that stool testing. Um, again, I use the GI map personally, and I don't ever diagnose SIBO or SIFO through the GI map. However, if I see their specific overgrowths, it can kind of tell me that this is happening um, throughout the, the colon. I have a question now. Um, you, you ever hear about like candida, like migrating, like, you know, into like a, like a, a thrush or some sort of like a, a vaginal like infection in women? How does that actually happen? Like, how does it migrate? So just like through the blood, like I was telling you, um, if it's chronic enough, then it'll enter the blood. So there, I see thrush all the time and that I would link like that to me is a sure tell sign that it's CFO because it's right up in the esophageal lining. That's the first connector to the small intestine. Awesome. Um, that is something that you can treat. There's um, like, I think Biocidin has like a toothpaste that you can do, like an oral swash that you oh, switch that you can do. What? Dentocidin. Yeah, dentocidin um, that they do. And those ones help tremendously with anyone with thrush. Um, from my clinical experience, I worked at an ENT with cancer patients. So a lot of times some of the therapies we would do would be to use a straw, trying to do like hot and cold liquids um, things like that can really help people with thrush to lower that aggravation um, in the mouth. Um, but yeah, so if you have that CFO, um, taking care of the esophageal lining for sure, um, if it's presenting there, however, it can travel and it can be just in the colon. So most of the time candida resides in the colon. I think half the population has it in their colon like naturally. Um, however, once we start getting symptoms from it, that's when we need to um, start addressing it. Typically with candida, I see that associated with mold, again, um, a moldy environment. So making sure that your client is not um, around any sort of mold or had exposure to mold in the past. I see a lot of fun, um, constipation with candida as well. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. I think that's a beautiful explanation on all that. And I appreciate it. And I know our listeners will. Now, my last question for you is, why is gut health hard to restore and fix? And there's multiple things here. So why is gut health hard to restore and fix? And then the next little part to that is, what are some differences between men and women in restoring and fixing it and the adversity they have to go through, different, you know, the differential between them? 
Yeah, I think honestly, I think it has, it's so hard for people to restore and fix is because everyone wants to swallow a pill and be better in a day. And it takes so much time and patience. And most of all, it takes a, a lifestyle change. And the lifestyle change is what's the hardest for everyone, right? Like telling a competitor to back off for two weeks and not train or to start taking all these supplements, like supplement fatigue is a real thing, right? Um, or just feeling drained from going to the doctor and going through test after test and being denied, like all of that's really frustrating, but also takes time, patience and money. Um, so I think that's why it's so hard to restore and fix. There's no quick fix to it. Um, even antibiotics is still a 14 day. A lot of times Rifaximin and all of those antibiotics, not only are they let only there's a 50% relapse rate or something. Um, but a lot of insurance doesn't even cover it. So people are stuck paying huge bills on those also. Um, and in terms of differences in women and men, I think it, I think it's honestly, I think it's because especially in this industry, men have a much easier time making those quick lifestyle adjustments than females do. Um, and then additionally, um, women have a lot of hormonal issues that are affected by their gut issues as a result. Um, that's not to say that males don't have this either, but because females and their monthly cycles are so affected such so easily by gut health problems, um, I think that's why it might be harder for them also. Is there a difference um, in the restoration and fixing of competitors and average Joes and average Jans uh, in terms of what you've done or seen? Um, not that I've seen, I've just seen more hesitation in a way. I think there's a, there's a pro and a con because competitors, oftentimes they have a really easy time in terms of modulating their diet, but when it comes to modulating their stress, that's really hard for them. And the opposite can, can be true for um, lifestyle clients where their diet is really hard for them to fix but their lifestyle and backing off and de-stressing is quite, is a lot easier for them. Fair. And then last little subpart C, do you think coaches are causing more gut health problems than they're fixing? I think it depends on the coach. Um, there's a huge risk to all of this. You have to understand that all of these treatments, et cetera, protocols, um, there's a huge risk in terms of liver problems, HCL with H. pylori and ulcers. Um, dietitians and practitioners have insurances that cover their asses for this. Um, a lot of these coaches don't. So um, I would just, I would feel more comfortable if more coaches would work as an integrative team with these people. I think that's our best solution um, versus kind of being like, well, this worked for Jane and here we go, Joe, like you try it out too. Um, I guess it depends. Fair. All right. Well, those are my three questions. Jay, didn't you have four, five, six? I did. Um, so we're seeing, at least in my business, in my consulting, um, a lot of Hashimoto's. Um, is this just an awareness thing or how's what's going on here? Why are we seeing it more? Is it environmental? Is it the foods we eat? All the stress? What, what do you think it is and um, kind of explain maybe a minute how like that might be related to gut health? For sure. So I think there's two reasons. Yes, there's more awareness. Um, two, there's probably more gut issues that's causing um, RT3 to increase. And then 
four is that that RT3 that's increasing due to gut health and inflammation um, isn't being looked at by doctors. So um, the reason why it's being over uh, diagnosed, I would say, is because doctors only look at your TSH, your T3, your T4, um, and it doesn't really give you a good full picture about your thyroid. Um, sometimes your active your active hormone is low because the RT3 is high. So elevated RT3 can happen as a result of that inflammation, the digestive orders. So it's being diagnosed more often, but the root cause isn't really being fixed at the end of the day. And what do you think the root cause really is? The gut health or? Yeah, that chronic inflammation, stress, strict dieting, infection, that being what's driving up that elevated RT3 and then driving down um, the thyroid hormones, which are coming up low in the panels and then Hashimoto's is being diagnosed. Okay. Psoriasis, um, leaky gut or something else? Can it be something else? Or do we always look at the gut when we're dealing with psoriasis and other type of skin um, maladies, I guess you would call them? Mm -hmm. So I think that any autoimmune condition is definitely associated with leaky gut. However, the actual thing that triggered or environmental stress or personal stress that triggered the autoimmune disease to like whatever stress happened that altered the genome, that is what causes the leaky gut to also happen. So common triggers of that would be like stress, smoking, alcohol, um, rapid, um, withdrawal from oral or systemic corticosteroids, um, chronic infections like viral, fungal, parasitic, allergen exposure, heavy metal toxicity, I've seen be pretty big with um, psoriasis specifically. Um, and if you never get to the root cause like that heavy metal toxicity, no matter how much gut digging you're going to do, it's still going to be there. And it's still the psoriasis is still going to flare up as a result of that heavy metal toxicity. How do we know if it's heavy metals? Um, uh, great. Uh, GLP does testing on it for heavy metals. Great plain labs. Okay. okay. So is, is that, is that a blood or is that, uh, how is, is it? Um, it's so they have, so there's, um, hair analysis that you can do. And I believe there's also urine. Oh, okay. All right. Um, cool. So then my last one is why is sucralose, at least it seems to me, and it's one of those things where I used to be able to eat it in my twenties and thirties, but now it tears me up. Why is something along those lines of sucralose so bad for our gut lining or our gut health? And if it's not messing up the lining, what is it affecting? And why does that seem like it's something that, you know, you have some coaches say it's fine. It doesn't bother people at all. It's not a big deal but I've kind of seen differently. So what's your take on that? And then what's the why? Yeah. So I see that too. And I've practiced that actually myself in terms of like, I've completely taken out sucralose for three months and done like a full protocol and then brought it back in. And I've noticed a specific, like a significant difference. And it has nothing to do with like gums or anything else, like additives that are added. It's strict sucralose, I think. Um, but it's very hard to pinpoint that. Right. And so Overall, they do know through mouse studies and other studies is that it does disrupt the gut microbiota, but also keep in mind that everything from like broccoli to asparagus will affect the gut microbiota differently. Like every single thing that we put in our bodies will affect it differently just because of the bacterial colonies will be feeding on those things differently. 
Um, but sucralose itself has been shown to cause that low grade chronic inflammation and tissue damage, and that can trigger an immune response and potential liver inflammation. Um, so it's hard to say if, if it's that low grade chronic inflammation that's eventually catching up to us yeah. or that I'm wondering too, like, could it be that leaky gut kind of situation where we're talking about? And it's so common in our bodies that when we take the time to heal that leaky gut lining, um, and then we reintroduce it, like our body's like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that anymore. Like, I don't know if that's, again, I don't know if that's even a potential mechanism that could happen, but I'd be curious. Uh, as a follow-up, and then I, and then we run to Jeff, um, I have my supplements I like for leaky gut. Most people on here probably heard them. Do you have a top three? No, I, I'm going to be one of the only people probably that does not employ uh, supplements for leaky gut because again, in, in my opinion, just with core perform, how I do it is whole foods mainly, and really working on those lifestyle factors. Because I think that if you can, if you can eat clean for like a few weeks, that's going to be much more effective than me throwing like glutamine or aloe vera, um, things like that. However, those are some great ones. Marshmallow root. Those are all slippery elm, like really calming and great for the GI lining for sure. Okay. Gotcha. You know, one thing I like about you, Dasha, is that you are not afraid to disagree with people and tell it like it is. So we all do different things. Like that's at the end of the day, we're all doing our own thing. Like I know, I know, I like that because I'm someone who uses the aloe and glutamine. As my clients know who listen to this, but I like how you are just out there and just say, "No, this isn't how I do it." So that's great. Um, so my first question is. Are there any acceptable situations to employ laxatives during a GI fix when someone is so, so constipated that you, you don't know what to do, like nothing's working, right? And if so, what would you use? How much of it? How long would you use? What are the strategic and acceptable situations for laxatives? You're going to laugh because again, I have a five page constipation protocol of lifestyle stuff that we work on before I even touch laxatives. Like I want to make sure you are walking after your meals, you getting enough fiber and you're getting your water hydrated, your bowel training. Um, you can try L massages. We can try castor oil packs. We can try PT therapy, pelvic floor therapy, um, like all of these things. If you're not doing those, then for me to be like, yeah, let's fix it with a laxative. It's like, I haven't done my job in teaching you how to prevent this from happening again. Um, however, with that said, um, I do like to kind of taper it. So for constipation, um, and laxative specifically, I would say um, the first one that I start off with is a mag acerbate. So it is a vitamin C buffered form of magnesium that acts as a mild laxative. So I would start with that about a fourth of a teaspoon. Um, and then if you haven't gone to the bathroom, then add another fourth of a teaspoon, fourth of a teaspoon until you go. Um, that is pretty mild and you can do that on a daily basis. It's fine. I guess it's just vitamin C, right? Um, buffered with magnesium. The next step after that would be a magnesium um, citrate, which you guys know is more harsher. It's for like the colonoscopy preps. Um, people who I see needing to use mag citrate on a daily basis are people with Hashimoto's, um, specifically hypothyroidism. Um, because hypothyroidism um, and low thyroid hormones slows down the motility of your gut and causes more constipation. Um, those people I see, if, first of all, I want to make sure that they're not on Levo because Levo can actually cause constipation, even though it's helping with the thyroid hormone. 
So I like to try and switch them off of Levo and onto another thyroid med if possible. Um, but also just making sure that they're getting enough thyroid meds in general so that their thyroid is functioning properly. And that way we don't have to get use a laxative. We just are fixing the thyroid from working. Um, but yeah, for them, like mag citrate dosing, I can see up to like 500 milligrams a day, but please don't start off that much. Um, again, this is like colonoscopy prep stuff. So, uh, it'll really clear you out. All right. Next question. Um, gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD, um, hidden causes or drivers. And how often do you see impairment of the migrating motor complex involved in this? So for people who don't know what the MMC is, it is basically smooth muscle contractions that occur basically when you're not digesting, it's like a, like a sweeper function of your gut to kind of like sweep things down your, your GI and your enteric nervous system controls that. So where, how often do you see MMC impairment and how would you improve MMC function in relation to GERD? Yeah, so MMC is a migrating motor complex. I would say chronic dieting, hypothyroidism, stress. Stress is like the biggest thing that really slows down the MMC. Um, in terms of hidden causes and, and drivers, um, the one that I see most commonly for GERD is H. pylori. But again, these things don't come one and all. Oftentimes you might have candida, parasites, SIBO, um, something else that's coming in, in addition to that H. pylori. Um, okay. Um, for handling it though, for the, for improving it, um, yeah. I would do that, that PT, um, pelvic floor therapy. I would make sure that they're not intermittent fasting. Um, I like to do, I like to incorporate meal spacing with SIBO versus intermittent fasting. So that'll allow, so for example, what meal spacing is, is, um, if you wake up, I want you eating 30 to 30 minutes to an hour upon waking. Um, but I want you to space out your next meal so that the MMC has a time to actually move through and move everything through the system. Um, so I still want you eating like all day, but I want you kind of spacing those meals out maybe four or five hours between each other to allow for the MMC to take hold. Awesome. I like that. That's one good reason to have multiple small meals per day. People are asking about meal timing. Mm -hmm. um, my final question involves the Herxheimer reaction. I hope I pronounced that right because I say it all the time. It'd be ridiculous if I just pronounced it wrong the whole mm -hmm. time. But anyway, it's die-off symptoms, right? So bacteria are living organisms when we're, we're trying to like kill bad bacteria, quote unquote, with these antimicrobials or with the antibiotics, living organisms die off and they release, you know, substances, right? So people get these die-off symptoms. So do you agree with that reasoning, first of all, and do symptoms sort of vary based on what kind of bacterial or, or fungal infection they may have? And how would you mitigate those symptoms? Actually, so I actually had, I'm going to be completely honest. I had a, a client recently who had a really, really bad reaction. And I've always kind of um, taken my time and made sure that like, that, I, that I'm supporting the liver, that their IgA markers are good and everything before I employ these antimicrobials. But she was really, really like, she's like, I just want to do it. And I was like, all right, like, let's just do it. Let's go for it. Let's just go for the antimicrobials. And she had two weeks of just full on rashes. She couldn't sleep at night. She was so itchy. Like it was just awful die off symptoms. Um, and so what I'll say about that is, 
it has really little to do with the type of infection that's going on. And it has everything to do with um, their beta glucuronidase levels and their IgA markers in the GI map. So if those are off, please, please, please. Um, I always like for someone with IgA markers low, depending on how low it is, I'll have them on colostrum for like a month or two, maybe three, depending on how low it is before starting up even on antimicrobials, because you have to think about your IgA and your immune system as kind of like your army. And if you go out there and you are a naked man against an entire battlefield of infection, you will lose. And that reaction will take hold of you and you will have some awful die-off symptoms. Um, if you can take some time to build up that immune system, put some armor on your army, build it out, you will have less die-off symptoms. You'll have a much easier time through your antimicrobial treatments. Um, and then of course, supporting the liver. That is number one too, if the beta glucuronidase is very high. Um, I like to use uh, hepatosynergy as well as, um, again, calcium deglucurate as like your baseline, but I like to boost it up with people who have like super high levels um, to make sure that they're getting the vitamins that they need, but they also have a proprietary mix of like milk thistle and um, a little bit of cordyceps and things like that in their blend. Awesome. That's a very, very thorough answer for all these questions. <laughs> Nick, do you have anything you'd like to spitball out? Um, I guess not as high level as y'all, but is there anything that you do on like a daily basis that would be, I guess, a um, more supplement versus just only doing whole foods? Like, is there anything that like, do you have, you know, greens powders that you have, or do you do castor oil packs? You know, is there anything that's part of your daily yeah, routine that you do for yourself to help your gut or your clients? Yeah. So, um, I don't do anything daily for that specifically. Um, most of my clients, I will start them off with a multi, but that's because Corporform is a, a semi-elimination diet in the beginning. So I just, as not only for that methylation, but also just to make sure that we're getting all our nutrients properly. Um, but other than that, there's nothing that I do supplement wise on a daily basis other than creatine for the gym. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. That's beautiful shit, you know? So you guys got anything to wrap up or is, I think that's all the nine questions plus Nick's. I don't think I have anything to add. No. I learned a lot. That went pretty smoothly and very effective. So, so Dasha, why don't you just tell us more about like how people can um, reach you for coaching? Like what is it like working with you? What are the steps? All that kind of good stuff. Promote yourself a little bit here. Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Dasha Fitness. You can email me at corporformnutrition at gmail.com. Um, and then my website has a bunch of free resources, blog articles. It has like downloads that you guys can get for um, recipes for like anti-inflammatory, gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever. Um, I think that's about it. If you guys want um, on my website, you can submit your email too, and they'll send you a full uh, gut health PDF. I think it's like 30 pages long. Hmm. Oh, one more question or a two part question. What's your favorite food to eat? And what is your least favorite food that you would never ever eat? Even if someone paid you a million dollars, a million dollars. Yeah. But you still wouldn't eat it for a million dollars. Like you, there's no way. I'd eat shit for a million dollars. So I don't know. I know. I'm like, I would pretty much eat anything. I think for a million dollars, a hundred dollars over Venmo. 
and you have to eat this. What is it? Like, I don't know, like black, like charred meat. Like, like black bacon off the grill. Huh. All right. What's your favorite meal then? What's your favorite food? Um, like cookies and poke bowls. Poke bowl. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What's the last one? <laughs> um, poke bowls. I really love um like thai, thai food and like um their uh, poke bowls are like uh, sushi on top of rice. Oh okay, got it, got it. Mm, I have to try that out after prep. And I really like Thai food too. I'm like, I'm not like a burgers and fries person. Like everyone in this industry is like burgers, fries, and donuts. And I just like, if I want to go out to eat, I'm getting some like nice ethnic cultural food. That's what I like. <laughs> I'm down with it. Awesome. Working. Uh, well, you already said your Instagram, anything else um, in your website? I think Sue covered it all. I guess we got it all. I think you did. I'm used to wrapping it up. Sue kind of got me there. So threw me off for a second. Threw threw a curveball there, Jeff. I know you did. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Those were some really in-depth answers to those questions and stuff we've never, ever asked or discussed on the podcast, I know for a fact. So uh, thank you for helping us bring that to the discussion. Awesome. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. I hope it was digestible. No problem. Yes, I, think it was. I think it was. It'll probably be one people listen to multiple times, but it'll be good. For sure. Good resource. All right, guys. We all have yourself a good day. I'll see y'all later. All right. Thanks, Sasha. Bye. 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 Yeah.